Hello, my name is Sarah Sloan, and you're listening to The Sarah Sloan Show. Hope you guys are doing well. As always, I'm joined here with my father. We're here to discuss the news, and I hope that you guys find it informative and helpful. Let's jump into it. All right, so this was something that was I did want to talk about. I've been seeing so many videos of this, basically the ATF nominee, the guy who's going to kind of handle the, the guns and everything else. Um, and a lot of different people questioning him in committees, these senators, and they're doing a good job. Um, the one that I felt like was really, you know, short and to the point was Senator John Kennedy. And I think he's from like Louisiana. I think so. Yeah. And he, he just gets right down to business. So a different Kennedy, I guess. <laughs> Slightly. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Marilyn Monroe maybe wasn't as big of a fan of this one. (laughs) (laughs) But she also wasn't killed by this one. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) All right, let's play the clip. Question of Mr. Chipman. Who's Mr. Chipman? You're nominated for uh, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, and explosives, and all kind of other danger stuff. Is that right? Yes, Senator. Okay. You don't believe in private ownership of handguns, do you? That's incorrect. I own one myself. Do you? Um, do you believe in, in private ownership of assault weapons? Um, yes, What do you sir. own, by the way? That's a pretty private question. Um, I have the, I'll, I'll share the, the gun I'm proudest of. It's a Smith & Wesson Treasury commemorative gun, and the serial number is my birth date. Oh, that's cool. Congratulations. Do you believe in banning assault weapons? I do, sir. Okay. Define assault weapons. Um, Assault weapons would be something that um, members of Congress would define. Well, how do you define it? You're going to be running the agency. Um, Senator, I think this is a good question. If I am um, confirmed as ATF director... um, I got 35 seconds left. Define it for me, would you please, sir? Um, What's an assault weapon? Yeah, Senator, uh, um, the bill uh, to ban assault weapons is dozens of pages. There's no way I could define an assault weapon. You don't have any. You're going to run this agency, and you don't have a definition of assault weapon. But I would be enforcing the definition that members of Congress will be issuing rules and regulations. Just give me your definition. Um, I'll give you one definition that ATF. Give me your definition. One definition that ATF currently... Give me your definition. I can give you one definition. If you won't answer my question, how can I vote for you? I'm done, Mr. Chairman. I don't think I'm going to get an answer. And I've heard (laughs) many other people questioning him, asking him the same question. They don't get an answer. He's kind of slippery. Yeah. Thank you so much for your question. He did this whole thing with Ted Cruz where he was like, Thank you so much, and I enjoyed our meeting that we had together, and you offered me a Dr. Pepper, and it remind me, reminded me of my time in Central Texas. Well, thank you, dude. You took about like 20 seconds of my time to ask you questions, so thank you. That's kind of strategic when you're dealing with one of the toughest questioners. Oh, yeah. Very smart to do what he did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, can't yeah, even you, define it. You might just kind of burp, and that can take a few seconds. And, and just say, one second, I got to... I gotta catch my breath, please, <laughs> please. Yeah, won't even give an answer, so uh, a little bit worrisome, but mm. 
what can you do? I think he's against assault weapons, whatever the definition. Yeah. <laughs> and But don't don't ask him what Even gun he owns. Even a broad definition. <laughs> if you ask him what gun that's he owns. That's kind of personal. Yeah, that's a little personal. So, But of course, he's going to get all personal in your business. <laughs> that's right. So. He wants to know what kind of gun you own. <laughs> yep, and he wants to take it. <laughs> that's right. Um, so this was on the Epoch uh, Times, basically. Trucks guns, computers. And those are some of the things that uh, Americans have been spending, you know, more of their money on in the past year. And, you know, how they came to these amounts, basically, they were saying that, here, let me read this. After governments locked down major parts of the economy in response to the virus around March last year, consumer spending dropped by almost 7% that month. And another nearly 13% the next. Despite some recovery, the economy remained somewhat depressed for the rest of the year and only recovered to its previous trend in March and April, according to the personal consumption expenditures data from the Bureau of Economic Analysis. Within those numbers, however, major shifts occurred as Americans reconsidered where to put their money. So that's kind of, basically they're, they're working off the fact that people were spending less and that's how they kind of have to make these adjustments. Mm-hmm. But but with trucks, they were saying that um, basically the spending was light on trucks. Then it started going up. And it by June 20th, or sorry, June 2020, it was going to record highs. And it soared to more than $370 billion in April. Mm-hmm. Just on trucks, nearly 54% above the june record so you know june 2020 to april now boom mm. all that spending and um yes basically as well uh this april the spending reached nearly 175 billion almost 44 percent above the may record so it's just it's it's really amazing how much mm. is being spent so Overall, this all means that Americans poured an extra $785 billion into trucks between March 2020 and April 2021, compared to what they would have spent if no pandemic took place. And expense expenses patterns continued on the trajectory they were on over the 12 months. Now, were those some of those trucks electric? Well, yeah, that, that's a whole other interesting part of it. <laughs> we all know that Ford just came out with their electric truck and their they're banking on that truck. They're really hopeful. You know, because recently the gas prices are going up and trucks tend to use quite a bit of gas. Mm-hmm. So just wondering what people were thinking in that regard. Yeah, and I, I was hearing someone talking about it and they were saying that, you know, Biden and just the government in general, they have no reason to be worried about gas prices going up. Because, okay, they go up, well, then more people will get electric cars. That's what they wanted anyways. So they really don't care one bit. Mm. The mm-hmm. higher it goes up, the better. That's why they're always against fracking and pipelines and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they, they really don't care. So, But this, yeah, this Ford electric truck, it, it it's interesting and it's very nice. But electric, you got to be careful with it. It's not always the best source. You know, all these Teslas. Basically, you just got to rely on these charging stations, mm. and they're not the easiest to find, and the range of these cars are not usually the best. 
So it's just, it's not really the best way to go. Hybrid is pretty good, but then you got to spend more money on hybrid. So it's just all over the place. Yeah, that's unusual to, you don't think normally of electric and truck together. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, you're just thinking power, which I imagine they figured out how to, you know, give quite a bit of power to the electric truck, um, but it almost makes you think of a toy. Yeah. (laughs) It's an electric truck. Yeah, just plug it in and then you'll go. (laughs) Maybe little batteries, which I guess is sort of what it has, big batteries. Yeah, and everybody thinks that they're saving the world with these batteries, Mm -hmm. but those batteries require lithium. And where can you get lithium? Mm -hmm. Exclusively in China. So it makes us more dependent on China. The way that you mine this lithium, you have to literally just imagine a mountain and cut into the mountain, Mm -hmm. decimate the mountain. Mm -hmm. And you also drill holes. And so you look, you know, you start just just off with this hole in the ground. And then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger to where you got this hole that's 20 feet deep, this circular hole in the ground. So, you know, it's really good for the environment. It's really making our land beautiful, cutting down mountains. Yeah, but that's over there. It's not over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't ask, don't tell. If we don't know what's going on and we don't see it, it it doesn't affect the environment as far as we're concerned. And there's going to be a point where we're going to run out. Mm. We won't be able to buy any more from them. So it's really not better. They they think it is, but it's not. Th- these electric cars are no good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're going to have to come up with a different kind of battery that doesn't use lithium. Yeah. And, <laughs> and even, um, it's funny because I'm hearing contradictory things on hydrogen. I've heard Glenn Beck say that it's very easy to get hydrogen and that Obama was the reason it didn't happen and how stupid that was. But then someone else was telling me that hydrogen is very hard and expensive to get. And basically you have to keep it at such cool temperatures that are almost impossible to sustain. Mm. So I don't know what to believe on that. I'm going to have to do more research. But at first I was, after I heard Glenn Beck, I was like, oh, wow, this is so exciting. And then I heard this other guy and I was like, oh, I don't know if this is true anymore. So yeah, I've been hearing about that for a lot of years and it still seems like we're quite a ways off. But basically it was like the government was stopping it from being able to happen. Mm. Like we could have made progress on it mm-hmm. and they were ready to in California. They were already setting up stations and then Obama was like, Nope, mm. because they don't, they don't want real progress. They don't actually really care. It must've been good then. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. You know, for him to have stopped it and wanting to stop it, it must've been something good. Yeah. But, that's all he did. He, anything good, he stopped. Anything yeah. Literally bad. He wanted but the guy I was speaking to, he, he knows all about cars. Like, he's a really good expert on it. So I just don't know what to believe. Mm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, and I'm not the best at understanding all this stuff. I usually have to have it explained to me. So, mm-hmm. yeah. The next thing, though, is computers. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically, if you're thinking just about the fact that everybody had to work at home, and some companies, you know, they sent you home with your laptop, but then you're like, okay, well, i got to work off this laptop now. Am I really going to do this for a whole year? So then they would buy other stuff. And yeah, so, you know, spending for that went up big time. Mm. Uh, Let's see. The initial months of the lockdown barely affected the spending, which soon after followed an upward trajectory and somewhat plateaued above $210 billion in March and April, more than 30% above February 2020. Mm. So that's a lot of money. And, And I'm trying to think of which companies really would have been affected uh, you know, like I think with the uh, peripherals, the the mice and the keyboards, Logitech. Mm. So Logitech is probably doing so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as 
computers just in general, LG, mm. Apple, Dell, you know, there's a bunch, there's a mm. bunch. Um, I don't know how much was spent really on Chromebooks. Probably Chromebooks were already provided by schools for kids, but mm. I doubt a lot of adults were buying it for their work. So, but yeah, that, that's a big deal. And so then they kind of give that, this little note, if pre-pandemic spending patterns preser- uh, preserved, Americans would have spent some $420 billion less on computers between March 2020 and April this year. Mm. So that one, that was a lot. Mm. That's a ton of money. And then the next one was guns. Um, yeah, we all know that people were wanting to spend money on that. They said spending in the category reached about $120 billion in March and April, which is more than 43% above February 2020. Mm. And uh, the BEA combines gun and ammo spending with durable sporting equipment and supplies expenses. So basically all the money can't just be counted with just specifically firearms is also the ammo and, and other stuff, other equipment that has to go with guns, which there's always a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yet reports of ammo shortages and record gun sales leave little doubt that at least a major part of the spending trend stems from this source. Mm. If pre-pandemic trends continue, Americans would have spent nearly $290 billion less on guns, ammo, and sporting goods between March 2020 and April this year. But they spent more. Definitely. Okay. Definitely. So... Was this kind of a reaction to Biden, our best friend of the Second Amendment? Yeah, anytime they start doing this stuff and they say mm. they start mentioning gun laws, people flood to to the gun stores mm. mm-hmm. and they just start buying guns because they're worried about that. Mm-hmm. Shows you, it shows you a lot. <laughs> right. So it's it's very counterintuitive. Mm. Whenever they start trying to scare the public. Right. They just load up. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then, okay, a few other things. Basically, furniture was about $150 billion of extra spending. Pleasure boats and other recreational vehicles, about $120 billion of extra spending. Jewelry, about $75 billion extra. Tools, hardware, outdoor equipment, supplies, about $64 billion extra. Mm. So, a lot. You know, you think of all the things that people would do during a lockdown. And those... Most of those were the things that they spent money on. Yeah. And a lot of this, part of the extra spending was uh, inflation. Mm. And just mm. the fact that you had to spend more if you were going to just buy the stuff in general, mm. just because prices are going up. So, um, oh, this was just a interesting note. Gas prices have increased about 20% since mid-January 2020. You know, right about the time a certain president started his term, <laughs> you know... But like I told you, they don't care. It, it can go up a hundred million percent. They don't Wait, care. Now what year was that? Twenty twenty. Oh dang. That was the year before. Okay, so I'm wrong. Um, I guess it really just was in general. It's been going up ever since then. I and see. that was a whole year mm. of Trump. Yeah, that's true. Okay, I'm wrong. I guess part maybe of that this, was kind of the low point. Yeah, maybe COVID had a little bit to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Trump always wanted better for gas prices. Mm. He always fought for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, definitely there was a shift in terms of exploration, you know, and even, of course, pipelines, everything else since Biden arrived. 
Okay. So those would be things that would increase the cost and cause us to have to import more. Um, but for whatever reason, during the last year, and again, maybe impacted by pandemic in some way. Um, Definitely. Although you would think that there would be much lower demand, right, under lockdown. Yeah. And lower demand would have caused lower prices. You know, people aren't, well, you'd have a glut. You'd, yeah. You would think, okay, they're not using gas, so the prices, because nobody was traveling much during those, you know, like last summer. Yeah. And then also people weren't probably being sent to work because the oil fields. Mm, yeah. And people weren't flying. Yeah. So, boy, that's mm. still a little hard to understand. Yeah, that is a bit confusing. Because at first mm. I thought 2021, mm. it made perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Biden. But, yeah, mm. it doesn't make as much sense now. Mm -hmm. Huh. Well, at least we learned a little bit about other items. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and just inflation in general. Okay, so last episode I had played some Sky News Australia. Mm. And I found another clip, kind of similar topic. Um, MSNBC dedicating time to Biden's love of ice cream. Mm. And this this guy on this Sky News Australia show, he is just, he thinks it's such a joke. And I'm just wondering, like, what's going on with this Australia? They don't uh, like chocolate chocolate chip over there or what? No, yeah, I guess they're haters of ice cream. No, I, yeah, basically, they are, I don't know. I don't know if I've just missed this and I've not seen this out of this Sky News Australia, but they seem to be very much against Biden. Mm. Mm -hmm. Or at least the media's coverage of Biden. Mm -hmm. So it, this is a, a short clip. Boy, this, I kind of like those Australians. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> we actually have some friends there. We should maybe go. That's right. And speaking of how soft the treatment is on MSNBC of Joe Biden, we thought the Biden Booster Network, CNN, was bad. This was three minutes of television that surely they regret. This is the hard-hitting journalism of MSDNC. Joe Biden has been a senator, a vice president, and now a president himself. There's been a lot of change in his political career over the years, but the one constant is that Joe Biden really, really loves ice cream. It continues. Joe Biden has been a senator, a vice president, and now a president himself. There's been a lot of change in his political career over the years, but the one constant is that Joe Biden really, really loves ice cream. Making a very on-brand emergency ice cream pit stop after giving a speech on the economy in Ohio. And I know the president really wanted to focus on that chocolate chip cone, but the news out of D.C. today was so tense and so toxic that it trailed him all the way to that sweet little ice cream shop in Ohio this afternoon. Three minutes. Ridiculous. <laughs> MS. MSN. He said DMC. MSDNC. Yeah, Democratic National MSBNC, Committee. MSDNC. MSDNC. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Democratic National Committee. That's good. Yeah. I remember whenever Clinton was pretty popular, CNN was a Clinton Clinton News Network. <laughs> <laughs> now it's the Communist News Network. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. They're they're fully communist now. Uh huh. So, you know, I think the Australia, Australia has had a lot of battles with China and um, I think they know where they stand and that's kind of uh, much more aligned with Trump and much more against 
China Joe. Yeah. It's just completely unfair coverage. Mm-hmm. And they just continue to do, to do this stuff. I remember an article um, about Trump and the journalist was saying, uh, you know, they were having dinner in the White House and they were at the table. And Trump, basically everybody got one scoop of ice cream and Trump got two. And they were trying to say that as one of the very disgusting things about Trump and just what a fatty he was and everything else. Biden's obsessed with ice cream and it's a good thing. It's just like, <laughs> it's it's so unfair. Yeah, The coverage is so ridiculous. I remember the biggest uh, stories with Trump were when Melania didn't want to hold his hand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they, they would just repeat that again and again. It's like, can you guys drop it? <laughs> and all these people were saying they're going to get divorced. They're going to get divorced. Yeah. Well, okay. And I don't want to, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen, but I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> right. They seem to be pretty happy. Probably doing better than Bill and Hillary. Oh, yeah. Golly. Yeah, it's so unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a weird one, but kind of cool. Uh, California Cafe charges fee to customers wearing masks bragging about vaccine (laughs) yeah this uh it's an owner of a cafe in northern california and he has a sign posted um that and it says five dollar fee added to orders plates while wearing a face mask (laughs) (laughs) and in addition anyone who is heard bragging about being vaccinated will also have to pay the penalty (laughs) yeah kind of got a fine going there yeah, and I think it, I think that the fees will go directly to charities, mm. um, you know, that have been overwhelmed by the government's lockdowns. Mm-hmm. And he, he said, I've been asked this entire time to put on a mask, and that's not a large request. All I'm asking is a $5 donation to charity, and I don't think that's too much. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he just, obviously, he's, he was against all the lockdowns. Mm-hmm. And he said, I mean, the idea behind it, is I think it's time all of these ineffective government measures start paying attention to the collateral damage they've caused collectively. Mm, mm. Yeah. And, yeah, no one's forced to pay the fee, but, you know, might as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, yeah, he said there's no straight line from mask wearing to domestic abuse, but Mm. I see it as one of the parts of a giant piece that's forcing people to stay at home. Removing their freedoms, removing their jobs, forces them into situations of despair. Mm. Wow. It's got a little bit of a pushback, maybe after being pushed for a long time. Yeah. They feel like, let's push back a little against this. Mm -hmm. And you can tell where they stand. It's an interesting issue and how it might affect people politically because it kind of cuts across. You know, if you're a small business owner, who knows what party you are? But, you know, you, you've been hurt and in areas where um, mask mandates and lockdowns have been harder, you've been hurt worse. Yeah. And I think you can see which party was more for the tighter restrictions and which one was not. So um, people may remember that because it may have a lasting impact on their business. Definitely. It certainly had an impact during past year. Yeah, I think... 75% of California businesses had to, small businesses mm. had to close. Mm. I think I, I've heard that kind of a stat going around. I don't know if that's exact, but something along those lines. And apparently with this guy last June, he closed his cafe rather than requiring his employees to wear a mask after he was hit with a $10,000 $10, fine. 
Yeah. Mm. So then he <laughs> he hung up a message that read, throw your mask in the trash bin and receive 50% off your order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that guy's bitter. Oh, yeah. He he is done. Um, but I, I respect it. And mm. yeah, of course, California, they're still going to force this until June 15th. Mm. And they're, but they're still saying you need to wear your mask and you should always wear it at any point. And yeah, it says fully vaccinated people should still wear a mask on buses, trains, airplanes, and other public transportation. So basically, there's no point to getting the vaccine, mm -hmm. which I could have told you that. I like the part about if you heard bragging about that you've had yeah. the vaccine. <laughs> I got the vaccine. <laughs> Did you get the vaccine? Why didn't you get it? <laughs> Apparently he's tired of hearing about that. Yeah. Well, I bet he's heard a lot about it. It's different mm -hmm. in California than it is here. You won't hear people brag about it right. quite as much. Yeah. It's, uh, someone was sitting across the table from me and they took their mask off because they're about to eat. Very mm. sensible thing to do. I, I, ho I hope they take it off. <laughs> and then they were like, I got the vaccine. And I was just like, I don't care. <laughs> you do, Yeah, you do you. And you take it off the whole time. I'm not affected one bit. <laughs> Yeah, there might be parts around here that you'd be ashamed to say you'd have the vaccine. So Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I felt a little bit of pressure from some people, just like mm. a little bit of, oh, why didn't you get it? But I don't mm. care. At the end of the day, they're not going to force me to do something I don't want to do. Right. Um. Yeah. Okay, so Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, we love this guy. Mm. And he was speaking to the Small Business Administration, basically one of the representatives from there. And they were speaking to the committee and he's trying to, he's talking about Planned Parenthood and just saying they went with the last administration, they were labeled as a big business. So they weren't supposed to get money from the Small Business Administration. And now that group has just, with the new administration coming in, they've just completely washed that out. They're labeled a small business again and they've been giving them money. And he is just saying, you need to give information about how much and everything. And, yeah, he, he gets pretty stern with her. It's good. Mm -hmm. Guzman, I've sent two letters to you signed by 50% of the committee members requesting specific information regarding PPP loans to Planned Parenthood affiliates. Uh, we have not gotten a response so far. How many first-draw PP lo PPP loans have been approved to Planned Parenthood affiliates? So specifically on um, on specific borrowers, the SBA has not commented on specific borrowers. Well, I'm asking you. I'm I'm in charge of oversight over your trillion dollar agency, and I'm asking you how many have been approved. Well, we don't publicly um, release that information, and one so thing. So you are in defiance of Congress. You will do what you want, not what Congress wants. We have provided you a full listing. The, the you have not provided us with any listing of Planned Parenthood affiliates who've received money. This is an ongoing problem. The previous administration said it was unlawful. This is a big deal. The previous administration said it was unlawful and told them to return the money. Your administration is now giving them money. This is a legal question. This is a big deal. This isn't something you come to Congress and just say, I'm not going to answer the questions. Not at all. While I can't discuss specific borrower information, we no, you, you, no, one, no one is stopping you from discussing this. In your written testimony, you discussed an individual recipient of, of money through the program. So you are willing to talk about individual recipients. You're just not willing to talk about Planned Parenthood. But there is a legal question here. We want to know how many first draw loans were given. We want to know how many second draw loans. 
We want to know, since Patrick Kelly, your associate, came here and told us that the affiliate rule has not been reversed. The affiliate rule predated, as far as I'm concerned, the Trump administration. It goes back decades because it was done to protect small businesses. So small business programs were supposed to go to small businesses, not big businesses. So Planned Parenthood has 16,000 employees. The previous administration determined that they're a big business. And yet you continue to give them money and you won't tell us how much you're giving. You won't tell us if you've reversed your policy. Have you reversed the longstanding affiliate policy that has been part of the Small Business Administration for decades? No, we have not. And if I may, I, what we did provide to you is the full listing of all of the PPP loans. So it wasn't, we don't have a specific PPP file, but we did provide to your staff the full listing so that you could look at all of that information, including any Planned Parenthood. Um, you know, specifically on the affiliation rule, nothing has changed um, with that regard. However, what I would say is that, um, you know, it, specifically the uh, on affiliation, what applies here is management. Apparently the data you sent us that was in collection was sent months ago and doesn't include the new loans. So we want to know about the new loans. I think we discovered the old loans and now we'd like to know about the new loans. But then we have to have an answer. If it's illegal, according to the small business office, to give money to Planned Parenthood, how did it become legal if you haven't changed the policy? So the previous administration said they are a big business. They said give the money back. You're giving money to the people that the small administration said it was illegal to give money to. That is a conundrum. That is a real problem. And and if I could speak to that letter, that letter was not a policy um, statement. It was not process. In fact, the letter doesn't exist in SBA systems as it's not, um, it's not Wh which a formal letter, process. Which letter? The, the, le the letter that you referenced before in your letters to us about this issue um, specifically. And so we don't have... But what are you talking about? The letter, what letter are you talking about? You're talking about the policy? You're talking, right, which I, which I would say is not a policy. How PPP... So you're saying that the previous administration, when they denied funds to Planned Parenthood, they did not refer to a policy? They did not refer to the affiliate policy, which is the policy? You're That's saying the correct. affiliate policy is not a policy? The affiliation rule is a policy. Um, what they were referring to was general. The affiliation rule, as we shared with you in our recent letter to you, and I apologize, that was yesterday, um, so I'm not sure if you've had a chance to review it, um, but affiliation ar arises under certain, um, under certain circumstances. Some of them don't apply to nonprofits in the case of ownership or board, um, you know, excuse me, stock options or um, relations, identity of interest, which is more for foundations, but where this does apply is on management. Um, and that's either where there's control of the officers. But, but you can see how uh, common sense would dictate that you would put something forward saying that you've now reinterpreted the policy to say Planned Parenthood is no longer a big business but a small business. Well, because you're, you're working in direct contradiction to the previous small business administration that said they are a big business. Here, I'm going to pause it. Um. <laughs> He is so good in the way that he's just, mm -hmm. at every turn, she's trying to argue and she's trying to get out of this. But right. it is just literally the fact that they're doing what they want to do and they don't care about the law. Mm. They don't care about the policy. They don't care about Congress oversight. They don't care. And they do what they want to do. And that's mm. that with our taxpayer dollars. Right. Yeah, there's no, you know, you think they're kind of bound by certain rules and policies 
they just don't care. They, they do whatever they want. It's all political. It's all, you know, they have different motives. They're getting orders from above and they do them and then they try to cover it up with all this doublespeak. You know, they, they don't have any, um, any integrity or ethics in what they're doing. They're just, the ends justify the means. They like Planned Parenthood. They want to give them money. That's all that matters. And we should have the right not to give money to mm-hmm. them as taxpayers. Mm-hmm. We should have that right. And if taxpayers want to give money to them, then go frequent their business mm-hmm. as often as you'd like. But yeah, that's what the Hyde Amendment is for. And they do not care mm-hmm. one bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she <laughs> you hear these things where she's saying, oh, well, we did actually give you a paper with the list of the loans. Okay, well, that was an old, you know, that was months old. Yeah. We're kind of talking about these that new things. That was before the loans? Yeah. Could you could you give us something a bit more recent? Well, we sent you a letter yesterday. Yeah. You oh, did. you didn't get it yet? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, we sent that yesterday. You should have gotten that. Yeah. We, we know you didn't have enough time to prepare before this hearing. How convenient. <laughs> <laughs> we just dropped it in the mail so that we'd have something to say at the hearing. And she was she was actually trying not to even give him an answer. And he mm. said, okay, so you're in, you were in de- uh, direct opposition Mm-hmm. of congress okay <laughs> and yeah. it, he's so tough in the way that he frames that but it's the truth right it is absolute truth and yeah she's getting and of so course frustrated. the clock is ticking and he's got to try to really use every second oh yeah yeah and they they always do the mm-hmm. she didn't do this as much though the thank you for your question she didn't do that as right. much yeah she she knows not to play with Rand paul <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think probably from what i've seen him and ted cruz they seem to be yeah. The strongest and the best at explaining things simply, um, from, from what I'm understanding. They must really prep for these things. They do. And it a is lot so of research. obvious. Yeah. Probably, they usually know more than the person they're questioning. It's sad. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we saw that with Dan Crenshaw mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Dan Crenshaw, he's, he's extremely intelligent. Mm-hmm. And he's also fighting blindness. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that he can barely even see, mm-hmm. and he still knows more, mm-hmm. pretty sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's wearing these very like thick bottle cap cl- glasses. Wow. Uh, and yeah. obviously has an eye patch. Mm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. Here, let's let's listen to the rest of it. They went through all the same rules you're listing for me, and they concluded that yes, Planned Parenthood had direct control over the affiliates, that the policies and the actions were dependent on the national branch, and that they did not meet the definition of a small business. And so, you are aware that not only is Planned Parenthood a politically controversial agent you know uh, entity but it's also one that the rest of government has controls on we have put the Hyde amendment in for decades to try to prevent taxpayer money from paying for abortion Mm -hmm. but now you're going around the Hyde amendment giving them money but then you're also reclassifying them as in not a big business as a small business but you're not being forthright and, and if I may, I did not say that the, I'm not judging on the policy specifically with affiliation for a specific borrower, because again, we do not do that. I'm sharing the affiliation rule with you um, for, your, um, for your guidance. However, um, we don't 
basically the borrowers attest to certain eligibility and the lenders can rely on that attestation. The, you know, the SBA doesn't directly. Um, but they were ruled that. illegal by the Small Business Administration and you're reversing that policy and you're saying, oh, we don't ever look at this. Somebody else, it's a self-attestation. Well, someone determined that they were illegally getting the money and told them to get it back and now they're getting the money. I don't know how that can happen without an explanation from the Small Business and then the S And then just to add on to that, the, the, the point at which SBA would look at that would be at the point of forgiveness. And so that prior you know, relationship is attestation by the borrower um, to the lender. But that's lender. not the way, you know, when uh, I think uh, it was Patrick uh, Kelly, when he testified, he said you had thousands of ones that you had reviewed for honesty and whether or not they had been honest in it. And there were lists of people that hadn't been. And apparently Planned Parenthood was on the list. They're still on the list. So they're on a list of people illegally getting it. The policy was send it back, and now you're sending them more. You can see how it doesn't make sense to us. So, and, and then you're unwilling to comment on it, and you're unwilling to give us information. So my conclusion is that you believe you are above the law. And my only conclusion is that we still want the information. We are here for oversight that our next step would be to subpoena you. But that doesn't, that's, that's a disappointment to me because when, when, when I voted for you, I thought you said you would be transparent, and it looks like you're specifically hiding this information from us. And I, I just uh, one other thing to note is that, again, as we go through forgiveness and the SBA then starts to look at these loans, um, that's when you know, hold codes can arise as well. Under those circumstances, you know, we'd be happy to continue to work with your staff um, to provide further information. Uh, but again, uh, you know, SBA at this point in those loan processes is, is obviously relying on the attestation of the borrowers as well as the lenders. So today, no Planned Parenthood has been forgiven. No Planned Parenthood loan has been forgiven. That's correct. So, so you know the information. You're just not willing to reveal it. So you know all about their information. The record should state you're unwilling to give the information to Congress. Awkward. <laughs> you know, I think it's kind of interesting. So if I approach them and say that I'm a small business, I attest, then they're going to give me all the money I want. And then only when it's a question of the loan being forgiven will they really look into who I am and what I'm saying. My God! But I can get all the money up front. There's no issue there because they don't. They just go by what you say. If you say it, then it's true. They they don't examine anything until it comes time to forgive it or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and explain to me forgiveness on loans. It, does well, that first mean they, first they give them the loan? Okay. Then the real question becomes, do they have to pay it back? Well, the way this program works is if they qualify, they don't have to pay it back. Okay. So first they get the money, they get the loan. Then later comes the time when they either have to pay it back or it gets forgiven. And that's when they're claiming that they really look into the original application and whether they qualified Seems like you might want to do that when they actually apply, whether or not to give them the loan. Why wait until the time to forgive it or not occurs? You've already given them the money. But that's how you operate with other people's money and not your own. Exactly. I promise you if it was her money, she would never do that. Right. Can you imagine a bank doing that? Oh, yeah. We, we don't worry about, you know, we, we just go by whatever they say. We give them the money. Now, when it comes time to collect, that's when we really look into their application. <laughs> Nobody would put their money in the bank, <laughs> yeah. but with government, it's different and you're forced. Right. 
So, wow. Taxpayer money. Golly. I learned a lot. Um, okay. And let's finish with this story. Um, Osaka. Basically, if you're into tennis, and even if you're not, this is interesting. I find that a lot with tennis stories. I'm really not into sports, but I usually find that whatever happens in tennis is pretty fascinating, especially women's. And tennis is one of the sports, I think, that probably has the most popular women's. uh, Yeah, basically, people really seem to like women's tennis Mm -hmm. versus in a lot of sports. Women's basketball, women's uh, Mm -hmm. wrestling, things like that. It's just never as popular. Mm -hmm. Um, So this was basically the French Open. Mm -hmm. Do you want to explain it? Yeah, there's four major tennis tournaments, which are the ones that really get all the attention. I don't know if I can even say them all, but Australia and the Wimbledon and the U.S. Open are the other three in addition to the French. And anyway, um, and this is what they keep all the records on, and that's where so you know it's televised worldwide. So Naomi Osaka, she's an interesting lady who's half Japanese and half Haitian, and she's I think number two in the world at this point. She's had a lot of success. I think she's won four majors among the ones I mentioned. Um, you know, she's, should I go into the, the story? She has said that in recent times, she's struggled with depression and anxiety, which is probably something that's fairly common during, especially during the pandemic. A lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. And somehow or another, the press conferences is what affects her. You might think playing before the big crowds and all that, but for her, she says she gets very nervous uh, when she has to face the press after each of these matches. You know, of course, it could be when you've won, it might be kind of nice, but if you've lost, uh, maybe not so much. You know, they can ask you hard questions at times. Um, to be honest, I've seen her interviewed many times, and I've, she's very different. Yeah, she is. <laughs> and, you know, just she's almost like a child in many ways. She doesn't appear like she's having a hard time with it but apparently for her it isn't that easy and she says that maybe somehow that triggers these this depression anxiety that she suffered with so she starts this tournament by announcing that she's not going to speak to the press whatsoever yeah yeah and they seem to be uh pretty strict on their rules Uh, you know and all these tennis tournaments are very much that way especially it seems like Wimbledon and the French Open, mm-hmm. uh, they seem to be a bit stricter from what I've understood with like even what you wear, mm. the colors, mm-hmm. just certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even modesty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you have, to, you have to do the press. And, yeah, just the fact that she missed it, she was fine. 15,000? 15. 15. One five zero zero zero. Yes. Um, and I think that she just... <laughs> well, it... She won the first Yes, game. she played her first match. She won. She wouldn't speak to the press. She got fined $15,000. Yeah. And, you know, I think, though, there was kind of a mounting pressure. Really, what she did by saying that she wouldn't speak to the press, she violated something that has been accepted for years, that this is part of the game, Yeah. that you have to. It's not optional. It's yeah. never been optional to speak to the press. Uh, there's been times when I think I've even recall times when somebody might have kind of stormed out and they can get in trouble for that too. 
if they won't even complete it. You know, sometimes they get all nasty and just want to give one word answers. That can be a problem too. And, and there's other sports that have the same requirement. So it's not unique to tennis, but you know, she was basically, even though she wasn't being real loud mouthed or defiant in her tone, she was challenging the system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think she even said in her statement, she hopes that this brings awareness Mm -hmm. to, you know, these old rules and regulations. Um, but yeah, I do think about the fact, okay, well, should we just, anytime someone feels depressed, never have them speak to the press, depressed mm. to speak to the press. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all in the name. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that I think that we really rely on the press asking them questions. It's, mm. it, you know, it's journalism. And it, you knew the rules coming into the tournament. And just because you don't like them, then maybe don't do the tournament. Just from here on out, don't mm-hmm. do tournaments. Well, um, you know, sports is entertainment. Yeah. The bottom line, it's to entertain the public. And part of the entertainment is to see them speak afterwards. You know, get a little feedback. How do they feel? You know, you've heard those interviews many times. And uh, so she was violating that. And, you know, to her defense, uh, I don't know if, you could say it was completely innocent, but when she did withdraw, she said, I don't want to be the focus of this. I think mm. we need to be focusing on the tennis, not on whether I'm not speaking to the press or not. Mm. And so, you know, she wasn't trying to be the center of attention. And I think when she realized that she was becoming that, because, she, you know, it was like the number one story, you know, okay, next time, what are they going to fine her when she refuses to speak? And, you know, this kind of uh, stalemate with the the authorities because she was violating the rules. I think she said, I'm I'm not playing this game. Uh, Let me just withdraw. You know, really, if if she was super competitive, you know, she's playing some amazing tennis. And to lose an opportunity to compete in a major tournament one of these four major tournaments is a big deal Mm -hmm. um you know perhaps later in her career if she's approaching a record or something you think of serena doing so you know you look back and say that was a lost opportunity i could have perhaps uh, won that one but anyway to her credit she said uh, you know if it's like this you know i don't want to be the attention let me just withdraw yeah yeah, I guess so. And of course, Serena commented on it, mm-hmm. and we're going to play her comment. Uh, but uh, we we are of the belief that she's a little happy. <laughs> <laughs> One less player who has beaten her soundly before. Yes, yeah, easily. Mm-hmm. Osaka is better than Serena. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows that. So, yeah, uh, here, let's play the clip. I feel for Naomi. I feel like... Uh, I wish I could give her a hug because I know what it's like. Like I said, I've been in those positions. We have different personalities um, and people are different. Not everyone is the same. Um, I'm thick, you know, other people are thin. So um, everyone is different and everyone handles things differently. So, you know, you just have to let her handle it the way she wants to in the best way that she thinks she can. And, um, that's the only thing I can say. I think she's doing the best that she can. 
So in her statement today, HB Osaka did reference that 2018 U.S. Open final where she beat mm -hmm. Serena, who was in that argument. There was a lot of current controversy. Of course, for most people, it was their first introduction to Naomi Osaka. Is there a solution, HB, to how we can work around the mental well-being and wellness of athletes and fulfilling media availability, which is also important? Well, 100%, and I think that's why this is such a big deal that everybody lost here. Naomi Osaka lost. She's the number two ranked player in the world. She is a great champion. She's won the last two Grand Slams. The fans lost. You don't get to see one of the best players in the world. And the tournament lost. You cannot tell me that this was the only option, that, that there was no way for every side here to be accommodated. I think there are plenty of different ways for the, for the media to have its access to the athletes. I think there are plenty of ways to work around. I think one of the biggest things, and I had said earlier that I thought that both Naomi Osaka and the Federation had handled it poorly simply because when these things go public, when they go public, then everybody gets their backs up and they get into fight mode. I think that this had to be handled privately. And, and I think that behind closed doors, they need to sit down and figure a lot of these issues out because this was this is a disaster. There was no reason for this to happen. And for Naomi Osaka, what she's really telling you is that winning that championship and the price of fame and all the greatness that's come with it is affecting her. You have to listen to these to these athletes when they, they say, I know we all want to be them and we idolize them and all the money that they make and the endorsements and everything else, but she's giving you a message. And the French Federation and the four Grand Slams essentially did not listen to that message. Self-care. Yeah, so um, what are your thoughts on what he said? Well, getting back to Serena, she says she was referring oh, yeah. to personalities yeah. when she says, I'm thick. T-H-I-C-C. Uh, isn't it CK? Well, no, that's it's kind of in like a younger younger person's trend to spell it that way. Oh. T-H-I-C-C. Okay, so it's kind of become know. a joke, yeah. Uh, I said, she, she said she was referring to personalities. I thought, no, you're referring to body types or... Yeah, which, like, I would say that her and Osaka are definitely in the kind of heavier women's group, mm -hmm. which has really helped them, honestly, mm -hmm. because of their strength and their power that they have whenever they hit. But, so I don't know if she meant personalities, like, that she's kind of a in-your-face. You know, she does have, yeah. obviously, very strong personality. Serena, she does. maybe she's saying that Naomi isn't quite that way, that she is more timid and reserved and and such so maybe she was using thick and thin in that way yeah. you know it's kind of because she said it applied to personalities but anyway i, I thought those <laughs> last comments were interesting yeah and you know yeah it was made public and nobody ever went to talk with her individually i i think you know she was just observing what was happening and in the press and said i, I don't want to become the center of this um if if this just doesn't work what i've placed as my position then let me just drop this one yeah which yeah once you pointed it out that way mm -hmm. i do see that very differently now um yeah and this this guy <laughs> i didn't play what he was saying before the stuff he was saying before was all about you know race and stuff like that mm -hmm. it was just getting mm -hmm. kind of stupid but yeah these comments you know were much more like actually helpful to mm -hmm. what was going on and yeah they they are they're it is it's a responsibility to have to be one of the best in the world. Mm. You're just not going to get to do whatever the heck you want to do. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that are supporting you 
and uh, you got coaches and just people that are helping you out. And, you know, you're, you come out of this one that you, you might've actually been able to win this tournament. Mm. Someone could have made a lot of money. Mm -hmm. You know, you could have given some of that money to the people that work for you. You know, there's just a lot at stake Mm. that's really just above you. And yeah, I think if, if it's really something, you know, I do wonder like, is it just right now that it's really bad or is it mm-hmm. something that's going to affect her for the rest of her tennis career to where mm-hmm. she may have to stop? Mm-hmm. Cause I don't know. I don't know how bad it is. I haven't spoken to her. Um, yeah. If she wants to come on the show, we'd love to talk with her. <laughs> <laughs> She'd be a very interesting guest. Yeah. I, I like the way she handles her, uh, her press. I really do. I think that she's funny. She's quirky. Mm-hmm. And I thought that what she was doing was fine. And she just seemed to be very herself and natural and she was always just very kind to people. So I don't know why um, that has been her source of pain. And he was kind of getting in another aspect, which she never confirmed, but maybe he knows other sources. And that is the fame, which obviously she's acquired from winning recent tournaments, is getting to her. So may, is that the source of the depression and anxiety? Mm-hmm. You know, not... Well, for all of us who have not experienced that kind of fame, you know, you, it, it's almost like you go from one day to being just on the tennis circuit, pretty good, but not really well known. And then, you know, you can almost overnight be the next wonder. Yeah. And how does that affect you and the way people react to you? And when you just want to be normal and you don't want people coming up to you all the time, you can't turn it off mm-hmm. once it starts. I guess you could try to disguise yourself like they do on Mission Impossible. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I guess I'm heartless. I'm just thinking, you wanted this. You were mm-hmm. going for it. Your goal was to be the best in the world. You got it. So you don't like it now. I'm sorry, that's on you. <laughs> no one forced you to do this. <laughs> you know, maybe it's just the reality that this package, it all comes together. And you can't pick and choose the pieces. And you can't say, I don't want the fame piece. I don't want the attention when I'm out in public. I can't go anywhere alone anymore. You know, you you can't pick and choose. You get it all. All or nothing. Yeah. And since you got it, you got it all. It's sad, but it's just the truth. So, um, yeah, you got to kind of get over it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Serena, she's dealt with it. So, yeah, I guess because she's thick and you're thin. <laughs> you got a thick personality. And you got a thin personality. <laughs> I wonder how Saki even felt about that. But, yeah, she was, Serena's happy. But, uh, I, I wonder who will end up winning this. It'll be interesting. There's a lot of good players out there. Definitely Naomi Osaka was one of them. Yeah. And it is, it is unfortunate because for the people that held the tournament and the fans that go to watch it, and all those that watch on TV, uh, even like us at times, you know, we're missing out on something because <laughs> she was something to see. Oh, yeah, it's true. You're right. Um, okay, let's go to the verse. It's going to be Second Corinthians 1, 18 to 19. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him, it has always been yes. You know, it's, it just seems like today there's so much uncertainty in the world and so much 
uh, yes and no, and everything you say, there's asterisks and exceptions. And yet the gospel and its truth has none of that. And it is only yes. (laughs) And uh, I think the contrast is so striking. And these words of Paul to the Corinthians, even as he's referencing whether or not he was going to visit them and the uncertainty surrounding that, then he kind of transitions, segues into uh, the promises of God and that they are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And that amen, it means so be it that it would actually occur. Yeah. Yeah, that he's very clear with us. And I think that um, we're the ones that maybe make it more complicated mm-hmm. with our, no, maybe, not now, later, okay, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, we're not like God in that sense. We're not so, yes, and um, I think that maybe we should try to be a bit more like God in, in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is definitely a passage of the Bible that I need to get more familiar with. So I, yeah, I'm glad that you we included it. Mm-hmm. You know? So, mm-hmm. um, but with that being said, thank you guys so much for listening to the show. And you got to decide: do you want to watch a movie that's two hours or a show that's honestly way longer than two hours? That's something that my sister and I discuss often. Have a great day. <laughs>